Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. This is Just Dave from Dallas, Texas. Welcome to Dallas Debt Discussion. I'm going to mute Arizona because we're getting a bunch of noise from your line. You can uh, uh, star six. We'll we'll get to your question in a little bit here. But I'd like to welcome everybody to Dallas Debt Discussion, the 2015 edition. And it is the uh, 19th day of January already. It's hard to believe this is our third call already this year. I, you know, we're two-thirds of the way through the first month, and I think Christmas is last week. Uh, I don't know. I, uh, I have the days and weeks and months slip by me like uh, there's no tomorrow. But uh, I would like to welcome everybody. We, uh, we have new people all the time that are joining our calls, which is great. Uh, new people that are becoming members of the website, which is great, because that's where you can find the material to educate yourselves to uh, do the things that many of us have already done and continue to do. But the first thing I need to tell everybody is that what you hear on this call is not legal advice. It's legal discussion. It's Dallas debt discussion. It's not the Dallas legal advice line. You know, it's Dallas debt discussion. We discuss debt issues. And if I or any of the other people speaking on this phone, on this conference call tonight, says anything about, well, you want to do this or that or you should do this or that, the context of what we're saying is that's what we would do if we were in a similar situation to yours. First of all, we can't give legal advice because I don't know of anybody on here that knows exactly what it is. And second of all, the only place you can get legal advice, I guess, that's what I've been told, is from a bar-licensed attorney. And I'm surely not an attorney. I've been asked before if I'm an attorney. I've had people tell me that I should be an attorney, and it's like, oh, boy, you know, that's, you, you know how to get yourself in trouble saying something like that. But the bottom line is, we discuss legal issues, we discuss the use of the courts, we talk sometimes about stupid lawyer moments, because we do encounter some of those. Now, that's not to say that all attorneys are bad. They're not. We've actually found some good ones. And uh, these are people that work on the side of the consumer to help the consumer to protect the consumer, rather than screw the consumer, which is what most of the lawyers do. Most of the lawyers are out there do nothing more than line their own pocket, period. They could care less who they stick it to, whether they're, <clears throat> it is their client or the party on the other side of a controversy. Make no mistake about it. The great, 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 great majority of attorneys are there for no other reason than to make a bunch of money. They could care less whether you win, lose, or draw. So there are exceptions. And uh, we're lucky when we find those. Okay. Uh, 
We uh, will go to Q&A in a little bit. To put yourself in the queue with TalkShoe, you hit star 8. Please have yourself muted using star 6, which is the toggling feature in TalkShoe. If you are not muted, which you're not when you come on this call by design, all you have to do is hit star six on the keypad on your phone. And you, if you listen, you'll hear it say, you are muted. Or it will say, you are unmuted. If it says, you are unmuted, just hit star six again, and it'll say, you're muted. And I ask that everybody stay muted on this call so we don't hear that inadvertent background noise, the kids yelling, uh, the dog barking, dishes clanking, water running, or any other weird sounds that we might pick up. We like to have a nice, clean, quiet call. And in June, it'll be six years that I've been doing this call, your call, creating the platform for all of you to discuss things and to learn and to educate yourselves and come back to a community. Keep in mind, it is your call. It is not mine. I'm simply the one that creates it and directs the traffic, so to speak. So it's your call. If you don't speak up, whose fault is it? yours. If you don't get the answers to the questions you have, whose fault is it? Yours, because you didn't speak up and ask the question. The only stupid question is going to be the one that you don't ask. And I I encourage especially new people to ask questions. And I know sometimes people will think, oh, these guys know so much about all this stuff. I don't want to sound really stupid. If I ask that, I mean, geez, I'll think I'm a real dope. Let me tell you, when it comes to this stuff, it wasn't very long ago, I was a dope. I'm not a dope any longer. Am I an expert? No, of course not. Am I fairly well learned in a lot of this stuff? Yes, because I jumped in head first. I didn't jump in feet first. I jumped in head first. And I've been plaintiff in well in excess of 30 federal lawsuits in less than four years. I speak from experience, from being involved in it, and from study, and from listening and, and learning from other people, including those of you that come on these calls. I'm not the only one here. Jeff is a moderator for Jesse's website, as is John, as is Terry. So when you hear John or Terry or Jeff talking, they've been in the trenches as well. Jesse isn't on this call, but he's on the Tuesday night calls. Jesse's website is where all the information is that you need to be able to get yourself educated so that you can deal with things the way that we do. Uh, Jeff and I talked uh, earlier and he said that he had a new member that uh, went into the website, and they were just absolutely blown away that there was so much stuff there. They had no idea there was that much information there. <clears throat> well, if you have not become a member yet so that you can go into the website and see how much information really and truly is there, whose fault is that? Unfortunately, for the uh, to look for the problem, Go stand in front of the mirror. It's you that hasn't done it. It's you that's procrastinating. Oh, well, you know, I really should learn this stuff, but, you know, I'm really busy. Well, I'm sorry, but this doesn't work for uh, in terms of osmosis. You get close to it and you just suck it up. 
It does take effort, but the rewards can be astounding, not just financially, but understanding the world that's going on, what's happening in this world around you so that you can protect yourselves, so that you can protect your assets, so that you can get ready for possibly a strategic foreclosure, or if you think you may be going to get sued by a debt collector or somebody, instead of cowering in the corner like most people do and go, oh, God, I hope they don't sue us. Oh, my God, we can't afford a, a judgment. I hope they don't sue us. And then all of a sudden, one day, there's the deputy or the process server. And you've got a summons in your hand. And it's like, oh, my God, what are we going to do with this? I haven't got any money. I can't hire a lawyer. What you should have been doing is having your nose in Jesse's website and learning so that when that debt collector served you with a lawsuit, you're licking your chops because you're going to take his money instead of him taking yours. And that's what we help people do. We don't do it for anybody. We can't do it for anybody. You have to do it for yourself. But the information is in Jesse's website, and then we're here on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday nights to answer questions to help you fit the pieces of the puzzle together and how they relate to your situation. Now, do we have all of the answers? Absolutely not. We're not experts. We've got a lot of knowledge collectively, but we're not experts. It's just that we're willing to share what we have learned through study, through our personal experiences with all of you, free of charge. We do this every week. I haven't missed a Monday night in going on six years. Why? Is it because I make money because I get paid on this? No. It's because I'm here to help you and to create the situation where you can come here every week and get information. So the thing that we ask of you is when you learn, you take and share this information with other people. You pay it forward. You help others that need help. You spread the word to let people know that we're even here, that there is assistance. Because most people are absolutely helpless. Our educational system doesn't teach us anything about the debt collection industry, anything about the consumer protection laws. It doesn't surely teach us anything about the use of the courts to protect our rights. And it should. But it doesn't. The reality is we have to learn ourselves. And it isn't like you can go down to your local community college and find the courses that we've got that covers the information that we have. It's not there. I'm sorry. It's just not there. So the bottom line is, if you want to learn, you got to take it upon yourself. But what we want you to know is that there is help out here. There are people out here that are willing to help you. That uh, If you're willing to help yourself, are we going to do it for you? Absolutely not. We don't do that. But you have to do it for yourself. Please pass the word. Now, Jesse's website, you hear me talk about that. And this, is, of course, is aimed at new people. Jesse's website can be found very simply. Open a browser, type in knockoutcollectors.net, and that's C-O-L-L-E-C-T-O-R-S.net. 
that'll take you to his website. You can look around at part of it. All you got to do is register with your name and your email address. You will get an email back, which is an opt-in for spam. It's got a link. Click on that. You'll get a second email, which will have some information. They'll have access to uh, a portion of the site that you can get in. Now, you may ask, why is it a portion of the site? Because the site is not entirely free. Yeah, websites don't, don't uh, get put up and maintained and have a full-time webmaster for nothing. It does cost some money to do it. In fact, it costs quite a bit to do webinars and everything every week. So the bottom line is it's 99 bucks for the first month and $49 a month after that for as long as you want to be a member. It's not like you're signing up and they're locked in for a year. You can share memberships. Each membership comes with a uh, uh, the ability to use two IP addresses with it. So you and a friend, and it doesn't have to be anybody close to you. We've got people in different parts of the country that share memberships. So it gets it down to 25 bucks a month uh, for each one. The main thing is that they have access to the website and they have access to the material and can learn. So you guys can figure that out financially for yourselves. But the part I haven't mentioned yet is the best part. There's a money-back guarantee on it. You've got 60 days to use that website to study to your heart's content, learn everything you want to learn out of it. And if for some reason or other you don't think it's worth it, you can just ask for your money back and you'll get it back. And never a beef. They will ask a question, why, why are you leaving? That's just standard. But that's all done by ClickBank. Jesse doesn't even know about that until after it's all done. He just uh, gets that in the paperwork. So the bottom line is you have no risk if you're thinking about doing this. If you've been putting it off, don't put it off. Don't wait until crisis hits and then you're standing there like a deer in the headlights. I've seen far too many people do that. It's detrimental to you and your family, potentially. Don't do it. Get ahead of the curve. If You, you know darn well if you've got a situation where you may have a debt collector chasing you or uh, you may have a, a, a potential foreclosure coming up. Maybe you're not sure. Well, why put it off and then go, oh, my God, it's crisis time? That's just not a good alternative in my book. But, you know, not everybody thinks like I do. But the bottom line is we're here to help you. We're here every Monday night. This is a new year. Uh, with some of the stuff on the website, we're, we're doing a little bit different things. We're going to have more uh, open Q&A stuff on uh, some of the uh, Wednesday webinars because there is a webinar every Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock Eastern and then uh, on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern, depending on which week it is. We might be involved in a webinar or it might be an open call. Tomorrow night it is an open call. So anybody, even non-members, can get on and ask questions. That way people can listen in. They can hear the type of answers that you get. And quite frankly, if somebody asks me a question and I don't have an answer, I'm not going to BS you. I'm not going to throw a bunch of stuff out to make myself sound important or knowledgeable. I'm going to tell you, you know, I'm not sure, but you probably want to go and check here or here to uh, make sure on that before you do it because that's the right thing to do. I'm not here to be important. I'm here to help. And that same thing goes for Terry, John, and Jeff. And Jesse, if he comes on the call, which he does from time to time, once in a while he comes in. But the bottom line is it's up to you. So 
with all of this said, before we go to Q&A, we're going to do what we always do to start the call. We do good news. And uh, included in good news can be stupid lawyer moments. Because of the fact that we have gone to the two-hour format for the calls on Monday night now, we're going to keep our good news shorter. I know I've taken a little bit of time tonight to to explain some of these things, but I want that on the record for the new people that are listening uh, so that they understand exactly what they're listening to here. But uh, the, the good news portion can be anything from getting a check to having a good outcome in a case to who knows what, something positive, because we hear enough of the crap and, and the uh, negative stuff. I'll start out with my good news. I'm sitting here with two settlement checks, and I've got a third one on the way. The two settlement checks that I've got to go to the bank with tomorrow are both a result of no litigation. They're both TCPA-related. They're not huge at 2500 and 1250 bucks, but for some calls to my cell phone, uh, like I was speaking earlier at the beginning of the call before we got the recording going, for all of about $10 for two certified mail letters and uh, uh, the fact that I probably have realistically maybe 40 minutes of work into uh, both of those things, 3750 bucks isn't too bad. I don't know if too many other people would make that kind of money. Uh, That's a good way for me to start the year out. I've got another $1,500 check coming. It should be here in about two weeks, and I may have about a $30,000 check on its way before long. So uh, a bunch of stuff is going on with Midland. I'm not going to get into it right now, but they made a real big error last week. They tried to pull a fast one, and uh, uh, I I think they're going to have a rather difficult time as a result of it. I'm going to do my best to uh, hope that to uh, hope to make that occur. That is, if they unless they want to settle, and they don't seem to be real interested in that. But that's my good news. Now, if anybody else has any good news, you do not have to hit star eight to bring that forward. All you got to do is speak up. So, if anybody's got good news, let's hear it. Man, a virtual stampede. I know things are a little slow for uh, a lot of people. They're still getting things geared up after the first of the year, and we don't always have a lot of good news, but there's other times we have a ton of it on a call. So don't let this, uh, especially for new people, don't let this be an indicator. If you think it's an indication, oh, well, you know, there ain't anything happening out there. Nobody said anything except him. Well, I may be the only one that's got something at the moment, but that doesn't mean somebody else doesn't come up next week and talk about their $14,000 check for phone calls or something like that, because that happens all the time. So if uh, nobody else has any good news or stupid lawyer moments, both of them fit in that category, uh, we'll go to Q&A one more time. I'm going to ask if anybody has got any uh, good news. Okay. Nobody's uh, jumping up and raising their hand and screaming and yelling, saying, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. So we're going to go to Arizona. If you've got questions or comments that you want to make tonight, just hit star 8 on your keypad on your phone. That will put you in the queue. Hello, Hello Arizona. I'm still here. Well, that's good. I'm glad you All didn't right. leave prematurely. Oh, no, no, no. I'll be on for, I think, the whole call. Uh Okay, so here's my question is I was on last week and I told you about an insurance agent 
who admitted via email pulling my credit. And uh, I think I've got them nailed, but as I went back to the F, uh, FCRA and I listened to uh, some of the webinars, it struck me that the FCRA is all about the reporting agencies. And I, I went and I read a complaint that's available on the website uh, alleging that a debt collector violated the FCRA. So I'm just at this mental sticking point where you know that part in the FCRA where it says, which it has reason to believe, and it is referring to the credit reporting agency? And what part of the am, – am, am I just off my rocker thinking that the, most of the FCRA is related to the, CR, the credit reporting agencies or, or – Well, like, I don't well know stop, stop, stop and think about something for a moment. Okay. What, is, what does FCRA stand for? Fair Credit Reporting Act. Okay. Credit reporting. Who does credit reporting? Uh, do, debt collectors credit do, do debt collectors do credit reporting? No. Well, I... No. You know let's that's, let's okay, stay, no. Stay, stay on point here with the questions. Okay. Who does credit reporting? Well, that would be the agencies, Experian, Equifax, TransUnion. Credit reporting agencies. So okay. isn't the FCRA pretty much going to be about the credit reporting agencies? Well, yes, but the nature of my question is, let's say you cite part of the FCRA, like that, like a, um, the insurance agent pulled my credit without a permissible purpose. Uh, I think my sticking point is I couldn't really find it in the FCRA where it said um, the permissible purpose must be supplied by the person pulling the credit, it looked more like the permissible purpose must be verified by the CRA, and I really don't want to sue the CRA. <laughs> that seems a little more daunting than... Well, what is the source for the CRA to get verified? The source of the CRA is the person requesting. Right. Right. So if somebody, if I decide to pull your credit, do I just say, hey, experience, send me Arizona's credit report? And they go, okay, yeah, no problem. Or do I have to say, well, Arizona applied for a car loan, and therefore I have permission to pull his credit, so uh, please send me his credit report so I can see whether I can give him a loan or not. Okay. I have to tell Experian why I want Arizona's credit report. And it has to be a reason that is a permissible purpose as defined in the Fair Credit Reporting Act, right? Because so, that's what governs credit reporting. Yes. Uh, so I figured on the call I would ask you if there's case law uh, detailing what you just said. Of course. Um, yeah, it can. Is that available on the site somewhere? Or can you well, it, to it's, it? it's everywhere. But you have you have to understand the bigger picture. First of all, let me ask okay. you a question. Go ahead. Have you gone through? Are you a member? Yes, you are. Okay. Have you gone through Terry's webinar series? What lies in your credit report? Yes, but only one. Well, there's your problem because okay. there's enough information in there to answer the questions that you are asking. And the reason that you don't know the answers after going through it one time is because that webinar series 
was packed so full yeah. of information. <laughs> now, see, I hear you laugh because you've been sure. through it once and you're going, holy crap, is he right? My head was spinning. Exactly. But th- what what this tells you is you can't learn it all in one pass. You're going to need for you to really, really get your head wrapped around it because the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the NCLC books I've got here, and I'm going to talk about them in a minute, um, the very thick book, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, there's, there's a lot in it. So therefore, what Terry did in that webinar is she covered a lot of ground, and there's a terrific amount of material. And most people, unless somebody's got a photographic memory, which most of us don't, and boy, I'm about as far from a photographic memory as you can get, uh, you're going to need to go through that webinar series at least three, if not four or five times. Because each time you go through there and you hear that and you see the material, you're going to have aha moments. It's going to be, you know, you're going to watch it for the second time. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I was wondering about that after I went through that the first time. Now that I hear it again, I understand what she's saying. And then you're going to have the same things happening the third and the fourth time you go through it. And so Jay? there's the solution to your stuff. And there's the voice of the lady, Terry, that <laughs> did the webinar. I, ju- I just want to say uh, this Wednesday afternoon at 3, the webinar I'm going to do this Wednesday is going to hone in on the responsibilities of the credit reporting agencies after dispute. We didn't go into that area of it real deep in the webinar series, but I'm going to be doing some update uh, webinars like the one I'm going to do on Wednesday, and the subject of that one uh, is going to be just exactly what is their obligation um, after you dispute something with the credit reporting agency and where that obligation lies in the statute and where your private right of action lies. That's going to be so good. When I disputed things on my credit report, I got three very different letters back. All across the board. Uh, Terry, you guys usually focus a lot on like S2B and the, the credit or the collection industry. Is there something specific out there for uh, what insurance companies have to follow? Well, with an insurance company, it's different, okay? Uh, you have to be careful with insurance companies. When you look at the enumerated list of uh, permissible polls, in the FCRA, it's specific, and and you should go look at that document. It's on the um, website, 40 years experience with the FCRA, the FTC's uh, 2011 reinterpretation of the statute officially. And um, around uh, the same pages, between page 41 and 48, somewhere in there, Um, they specifically go to permissible purpose in regard to insurance companies. Now, in general, the credit reporting agency does have to have a reason to believe that the entity requesting your credit report has a permissible purpose. For an insurance company, the only permissible purpose can be that you are applying or insurance with them. And if you are, uh, let's just say you contact them and you want a quote 
you're just shopping around because you're thinking about changing your car insurance. And everybody should do that every time their insurance is up because very often you can find cheaper rates. But keep in mind, when you do that, if you're just shopping around and you're asking for a quote, they will pull your credit report because your insurance rates are partly based on your credit score. In fact, that that weighs pretty heavy with the insurance agencies. So they will automatically pull your credit report. And just the fact that you asked them for a quote, it implies that you gave them permission to do it. And you will lose if you challenge it. The other thing is, let's say you just get online and you go oh, to some site to, to ask for a quote on insurance. And there's lots and lots of them out there. And you fill out your information, what kind of car it is, how many cars you got, what year they are, so on and so forth. And then you ask for a quote. Well, watch for really tiny small print on the website because it's always there somewhere. But in that small print, it will tell you that they are going to check for the best rate among several insurance companies. And when they do that, that will trigger, let's say they're checking with six different companies to find you the best rate. All six of those companies will access your credit report, and those are hard hits. Those are hard pulls, and they will affect your credit score. So be careful doing that. Make sure when you say that they didn't have a permissible purpose to get your credit report, that you didn't inadvertently give them permission. Okay, that triggers a question. The earlier you, uh, are you implying that the only way they can have a permissible purpose is if you request a quote? What about the hard offer of credit or insurance? Well, okay. If they, what's a hard, it doesn't say a firm offer of credit or insurance. A firm offer of credit, what is a firm offer? What is your interpretation of that? I'm asking you. That, to me, that would mean that they pull my credit and they send me something that could be astronomical, but if I agree to it, then it's a, it's a firm offer. Um, but, but they're going to abide by it. They're going to honor it if they, if they offer it to me. Okay, well, that's fair. If, for instance, Capital One pulls your credit report, then they send you a credit card in the mail with a letter that says uh, the credit card is enclosed, it has a $5,000 credit line on it, and all you have to do is call to activate it, to accept it, and, uh, you know, send back the uh, acceptance certificate or whatever it is they send you. That's a firm offer, right? I agree. Okay. But let's say Capital One sends you what they always send, a letter that says, uh, congratulations, you have been pre-approved for a credit card with a credit line of up to $5,000. All you need to do is fill out the enclosed application and return it 
Is that a firm offer? No. No, because it said up to. It didn't say specifically what. Okay? Now, an insurance company is never going to send you a letter that says, congratulations, we've taken a look at your insurance policy with Progressive, and we can do a whole lot better. All you have to do is fill out the application enclosed, sign it and return it, and we guarantee that your insurance rates, instead of being $800 every six months, going to be $400 every six months. Has anybody ever seen anything like that? Of course not. (laughs) No, and there's a good reason for it. It's because the rates for insurance are only partly based on your credit report. They're also based on where you live, your driving record, your medical records, a normal insurance application covers all those areas. They ask you a lot of questions because their actuaries take all of those areas of information and put them together to decide what the risk level is for the company in insuring you. There's no such thing as a firm offer of insurance based on a credit report. One of the things that you said earlier uh, rings true for me. When you talked about going to the website and they say, well, we're going to find you the best, and you know they're basically a broker, and they're going to check six different companies. Uh, what happened in my situation is and, uh, I was with uh, one of the big insurance companies uh, with an agent who was just assigned to me. He left. Two years later, he had he still had all he he basically stole a whole bunch of client files, including my so, uh, social that's assigned to me and you know address and all that stuff. And well, he went and like shopped six insurance companies on my behalf without my request, and uh, never mailed me anything. At least I never received anything. And when I when I inquired over email, I, I think I told you this last week. He he basically said, "Oh yeah, I was seeing if I could beat your rates. I'm really sorry if it showed up on your credit, but." It's considered a soft insurance pull and won't affect No, it is not. That's what you said. So, you know, most, most of those insurance companies are hard pulls. And it's, and it's like when you go apply for a car loan. And uh, my daughter-in-law did it. Without even thinking, I wanted to thump her in the head. She goes out car shopping for the granddaughter. And she goes to like 10 or 11 different dealers in a couple of days. And lets them run the credit report, hers and her husband's, um, shopping around for a car for the granddaughter. Next thing you know, because of the the polls, just the polls, the credit score takes a major dive in the toilet. Well, I didn't know, she says. I'm like, well, now it's too late. You know, um, first of all, I think I'd be suing that guy. Secondly, I would file a complaint with the state insurance uh, commission because that is highly unethical and illegal. He can't just use your social security number and, you know, take 
information from the company he was working for. It, there's, I used to be in insurance. And when you're an agent for a particular company, you are what's known as a captive agent. You are under contract, and you can't go out writing insurance for other companies unless you're in, you have a contract which states you're an uncaptive agent, which makes you a sort of broker, which is what I was. I could be licensed with 12 different companies at once. But most agents, if like, for instance, my car insurance agent, he's captive to that agency. He can't go out and, you know, shop around for his clients and put them with other companies, you know. <laughs> that's stealing data. I, I agree with you, and that's exactly what happened was this, this guy left the big company that he was with, who I'm still with, and um, took my information to go shopping for me without telling me first. Uh, but the reason I bring it up is because I understand that the, the FCRA regarding insurance is a little bit different than regarding debt collectors, and I want to make sure that I covered everything before I send them here's, the first letter. Here's a potential problem, and Dave and Jeff can weigh in on this if they want, but I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Okay, if I'm the attorney for one of those insurance companies that got your credit report because he told them to, right? He did it for you without your consent, all right, if I'm one of those, I'm the attorney for one of those insurance companies, and you bring an FCRA case for an impermissible pull, I'm going to say my client could not possibly have known that the insurance agent requesting the quote was not authorized by the client. Well, I hadn't even, con- I mean, I knew that I knew that was a reality that I could go after or I could send nasty letters to, uh, you know, Safeco, who was pulled through, you know, six different credit uh, companies, including Safeco. I, I understand what you're saying. I thought I would, I would just send a letter to the agent and his broker, basically saying, hey, both of you are responsible for this. Uh, I hadn't even considered going after the five or six companies that it was pulled for. Well, that's what I would do, is, is go after the guy yeah. who... Yeah, the, the one that the one that actually pulled it is the one that created the violation. Right, right. So it's really quite simple. Right, that's what I thought. Uh, does it also does it does it weigh in my favor that I tried to raise my credit limit with American Express and they denied me based on my credit score, which uh, and these two incidences where he pulled it six times for different companies and the Amex requests were about five months apart. Yeah, if you can show where you were denied credit as a result of it, that just uh, adds to your case. That comes under act- That's actual damages, right. Yeah. That goes past okay. statutory damages into actual damages. That's a good thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, of course it is. Statutory damages are uh, uh, up to $1,000. Actual damages can be far in excess of that. And when, when, and when this agent, this guy that you're talking about, did what he did, he had full knowledge that he not only did not have your consent, he did not even consult you when he did it. 
Right. He right. did it. He did it on his own, not at your request. So and there absolutely, absolutely could not be any uh, permissible purpose there. No, and it cannot be considered negligent. It it is willful. He knew what he was doing is wrong. You know, uh, you don't get an insurance license just by going and filling out an application and paying a fee. Trust me on that one. Mm-hmm. You, you have to go through a lot of education, and you have to take a test like a real estate test to be a real estate agent or broker, you know, in order to even get a, an insurance license. So he knows better. Okay. Uh, la- he knew thing. or should have known better. Exactly. Right. That's right. the language. So, do you do you think I could get? Um, could it could it work in his favor that if he says like, "Well, we sent you a letter. We just happened to send it to your old address that I had on file." No. I, that could work in my favor. Going well, if you had asked me, you would have my new address. Right. 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 Okay. The bottom line is, if you didn't. Uh, uh, you weren't shopping for insurance through him. He had no permissible purpose to uh, pull your credit report. Well, okay, I think I think we handled that. And next week, I'd like to ask you guys about LexisNexis because one of the um, well, I think two of the credit reports that were obtained were obtained through LexisNexis on behalf of you know Safeco. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they I got their fingers on the pie as well. You guys said they had a class action suit against them a while back. Well, they've they've had various lawsuits against them. We've had members that have been paid by LexisNexis. Well, maybe I'll tackle that one later. Thank you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I need to go through the webinar series at least two more times. Yeah, yeah. It's you know you've got plenty of time on your statute of limitations, which is two years from date of discovery of the violation. So um, it, it would really behoove you to make sure you're very well educated and can defend what you've done. So because you're going to get smoke and mirrors and BS from the other side when you go after them. And you need to be absolutely sure in your knowledge base so that when they blow smoke and mirrors, blow smoke and throw mirrors up, you can detect it and go, no. You're not sitting there going, oh, well, maybe there's something I missed. Maybe he's right. No, because they're going to throw the BS big time. I I don't act unless I know that I can defend it backwards and forwards. my My only concern is that this guy moves on to a different broker. Um, and, you know, let's say he's got nothing and I'm just going to ruin his career, um, which I'm okay with because of what he did. Uh, but, uh, You're not going to ruin his career over something like this. That's no big deal. Because okay, if it got but, to be any big deal, he'd settle with you. Okay. The, the question I'm, I guess I'm asking is, is it better to do it sooner than later uh, when I'm ready because he'll be with the same broker where it happened? No, that's immaterial. Okay. Okay, great. Nope. Yep, that's that's not a, a real issue. Okay. It's, it's him. It's not his broker then. Well, um, who pulled the credit? Was it him individually or the broker? Yeah, well, they I both rung the bell. They both rung the yeah, like, you know. All right, I, I so was, that's it. Enough said. Well, you can't sue two people for pulling your credit. Who pulled the credit? Was it Joe Smith or Sam Johnson Insurance Agency, where Joe Smith works. Uh, well, that's, that's what you question. have to determine. 
when when I when I called one of the one of the insurance companies, they gave me the name of the brokerage agency. So I emailed the brokerage agency in general, and this particular agent emailed me back, admitting to. But I think in the state of Arizona, you know, the broker is the one ultimately responsible for what That's right. Do. That's right. It was the broker that actually obtained your credit report. It wasn't the agent. So you're saying I should be addressing all my correspondence to the broker, not just to the MXCC well, agent. Well, when, when you look on your credit report, who does it say pulled your credit? Is it the it agent's says, name or is it the broker? It only says... Uh, Safeco, American Family, Travelers, the broker is nowhere mentioned. Well, the broker, the agent is acting through the broker. Right. Okay. Keep in mind, an agent doesn't pull somebody's credit. The brokerage does. The agent, okay. you don't have each agent having a, a contract with a credit reporting agencies and they take that with them when they move from brokerage to brokerage. When, when you go to work for a brokerage, they have all the stuff set up where they can pull uh, potential clients' credit reports and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's the broker that's doing it. So let's say it takes me long enough that, that uh, this particular agent has moved on to a different broker and I'm ready to act. That doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to follow that broker, not that agent, aren't I? You're gonna, the broker is the one yeah. that... <laughs> created the violation by obtaining your credit report. You can reference Joe Smith worked for them at the time that that occurred, but it, the brokerage is still the one that's liable because they are the one that actually created the credit pool. Gotcha. Okay. I think I asked the question five different ways just to make sure I was certain, but I think I got it. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Okay. We're good. Thank you. I'm, I'm You're welcome. Thank you so much. All right. We've got Eastern North Carolina with her hand raised. And for everybody that's got questions, uh, the way you get your question answered is to hit star 8 on the keypad on your phone. I'll put you in the queue. Uh, uh, Dave? Yes? Uh, I passed. I'm delivering pizza right now. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, I'll start again. Okay. All right. Come Thank back you. to us. Yeah, it was something that was similar about insurance companies, so related. Yeah, but I'll talk to you later. Okay. All right. Thanks, buddy. Bye. All right. Now, um, I want to tell everybody. I wanted to wait a little while into the call when we had people on. Uh, I've had requests, and I told people I was going to do this, and I've been sorting through a lot of stuff and cleaning my uh, my cave out here and getting a lot of stuff done. I went through my NCLC books. For those of you that are new and may not know exactly what the NCLC books are, NCLC stands for the National Consumer Law Center, and they produce a set of books that are used as training materials for attorneys. They are an incredibly invaluable resource that I have used and the other moderators have used, Jesse has used, and most attorneys in this country are very familiar with them. They are a virtual wealth of information in that um, they they take a certain area like uh, debt collection and they go through and they talk about all aspects of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act and they pick it apart and break it down 
But the best thing is that as they go through the book and they discuss these various things, they list case law. And sometimes dozens of cases to support the situation that you're dealing with from all sorts of different courts. They are an absolute wealth of information. They're an invaluable resource, in my view. I get new editions. They don't change that much from edition to to edition. There's maybe a little bit of the newest case law that comes up in in the new ones. But for the most part, the, the books are, are just about the same from issue to issue. I bought some of the NCLC books in the past, and I have gotten new updated versions of those, and I'm going to sell my older versions uh, to recoup some funds because I've paid a pretty good chunk of money. Well, let's put it this way. The debt collectors uh, have uh, spent a bunch of money. Uh, buying my NCLC books for me. But ultimately, it was the money that I paid out. And I want to let everybody know, because I've had questions on this, and what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to list the ones that I have for sale. And Because uh, you can't even find these. They're, they're a rarity to begin to find them anywhere, like on uh, Amazon or uh, uh, eBay or anything like that, because there just isn't hardly any of them out there being sold. Uh, I have the Fair Debt Collection 7th edition with the appendices. That's it's two books. It costs you $230 from NCLC. I'll ship it to your door for $146. Fair Credit Reporting 7th edition, and it has the 2011 supplement with it. Again, that's two books. Retail is $210. I'll ship it to your door for $134. Collection actions, which gets into uh, a lot of your uh, state court stuff. It's invaluable for dealing with state court issues. That's the second edition and the 2012 supplement, which is two books. It's normally $190. I'll ship it to your door for $120. Unfair and Deceptive Acts and Practices, 7th edition, and the 2011 supplement. There's two books. It's normally $180. I'll ship it to your door for $115. If somebody buys all of them, and that will be the first preference if somebody wants to buy all of them. Uh, I will take another 10% off of that. You'd get all of that, which would normally be 5 I, I uh, charge $515. i will uh, uh, ship it to your door for $463. And all that's doing is getting me some money back. I've got my other issues. And... The books that you get are the ones that I've been through with a highlighter, so you can you can find stuff with a lot less uh, reading than uh, than I did. So if anybody is interested in these books, if I don't, uh, I want to announce it on my call first because I've mentioned it before. If people are interested, I want you to send an email to knockoutcollectors. That's K N O C K 
Out Collectors, and that's T-O-R-S, at S-W, like Southwest, Bell, B-E-L-L, dot net. It's knockoutcollectors at swbell.net. In the subject line, be sure you put NCLC books. Just put that in and then put in there which books you might be interested in if you're interested in all four. If anybody is interested in all four, the first email I get that says they want all four, that's who I'll sell them to. If I don't get anybody expressing interest in all four of them to be bought at once, then I will take the requests for the others in the order that I receive the email. So in other words, you might want to be typing if you're interested. Uh, These are excellent, excellent books. I've learned a great, great, great deal from them. I still keep copies. I've, I've got my newer ones, and I spend money because they send me updates. I spend hundreds of dollars, or the debt collectors spend hundreds of dollars on it. But uh, they're an invaluable resource. It's up to you if you want it, but those are the uh, criteria for it. And uh, you won't be disappointed when you get the books. It's like a treasure trove. It really, really, truly is. Because when you're uh, one of the big things for those of you that have thought about writing lawsuits and stuff, it's, you know, where do I get case law for this and that and so on and so forth? Well, I'm telling you, there are thousands of case citations in this book. They are, they are full-size books. They're very thick and they've got about a 10-point font with all of the uh, case citations in them. They're, they're, it's amazing. You have to see it to believe how much information is there. So anyway, I do have those available. If you are interested, send those emails to me, and I will contact you. Payment uh, is by money order, postal money order, or Western Union money order, and uh, we can take care of that through correspondence. Uh, I'm probably uh, will respond to, uh, well, no, I'm not going to respond tonight because I'm going to give people enough time to uh, hear this call into tomorrow. So I won't, I won't make any decisions until probably after noon tomorrow because I want to see if somebody wants them all. I'd just as soon do that because it saves me fiddling around with uh, uh, shipping out a bunch of different things because uh, time is at a premium for me now because uh, I'm going to be starting uh, my uh, full-time trading business after many years. So uh, the bottom line is I do have those books, and uh, if you're interested, I I know you won't be disappointed, but uh, that's what I've got available. All right, with that covered, let's go to North Georgia, and I had to mute you and unmute you to get you out of the queue. Hello, Georgia. North Georgia, you've been unmuted. Uh, There you are. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm here. Are you there? Uh, well, <laughs> I've been I, here I, all the time. <laughs> or maybe it was my ghost speaking. I don't know. It's funny that you mentioned those books. I sent you an email about about 15 minutes ago about them. Yeah, I got your email. I saw it. You saw, did you see what I sent back to you? Uh, no, I've been trying to get my horses in a row here. I've, okay. I've, uh, well, I, I just said that I was going to be... <laughs> 
talking about him on the call, so you just heard it. Awesome. 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 Um, I took your guys' advice, and uh, last week I filed an extension or an expansion for time um, in the uh, court, and uh, I filed a... Uh, now, this is this is where you're being sued in a state court on a okay. credit card, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And I've been doing some uh, research on Georgia's laws here in the state, and I knew they were archaic, but I started getting into the uh, appellate decisions because I know that that's where it's going to end up going. And I knew. No, I you don't. Get... You got to be careful making those assumptions. Okay. Be careful making assumptions. Fair, fair enough. Please. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, the reason I, I, I was looking at the appellate decisions is through Graves' material, as I've been going through there, he is heavy on uh, finding out what the um, case law is and what the elements are in the appellate decision. That way you can control your judges. Um, well, I, now you can try and control your judges. Yeah, I, I know what Dr. Graves says. I've got I've had jurisdictionary for years. Okay. But yeah, it's state courts. Um, uh, let's just put it this way: state courts aren't uh, quite as clean as the federal courts. But I, uh, it's good to know what the case law is. There's no question about it. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not arguing that at all. Well, what I found out is that Georgia does allow um, debt collectors to collect on a debt if the assignment is clean what they deem clean if it has a if it has a true um if it has a true movement from one company to the next and it's mentioned in the suit that it went from like mbna and it went to bank of america and so on so on if it shows it on that on that assignment then they say that they are allowed to actually collect the debt and that they're allowed to get penalties and interest and whatnot. And I've read that on about three or four decisions coming from the appellate court here in Georgia. Well, but what you've got to take into consideration, I understand what you're saying, but it depends. The decision is going to depend on what information is presented. Okay. Now, if they can and do present all this information that you're talking about, maybe they can get something. But I'm here to tell you that they don't always, nor can they always, provide all that. Well, what's interesting is that I have the good uh, fortune of having a uh, lawsuit presented to me by Catch. Um, that actually uh, it has a, a, a summons attached to it in the complaint and then uh, you go through the complaint it's uh, 11 lines it's a breach contract then they have an affidavit, affidavit of sale and certification of debt by FIA card services and they got that August 21st of 2014 it's a new addition to what they have sent to me before. And 
it looks like they have been reading these appellate decisions and they've cleaned their act up and they're getting um, lined up because it looks like they've been stung a lot in the back, you know, in, in the past, and they've been sued and, and they've lost a lot of cases. Well, here again, I, I don't know exactly what all's in the documents that you're speaking of. Um, it, they're not, uh, without seeing them, I can't give you an opinion on whether it's something that I could poke holes in or you could poke holes in or not. Uh, how could I, is there a place where I can post these if I redact it that that people could look at? You're, it you're talking about the assignment. Uh, uh, affidavit uh, of the certification of debt sale and certification of debt. Well, that doesn't mean anything. Okay. Where's the records? See, uh, the, that, the that affidavit certification of a debt, that's, quite frankly, that's garbage. So that's the first thing in my affirmative defense is that I start slamming. No. No, your affirmative defenses, you just put your basic affirmative defenses in. You you get into going after things and discovery and stuff later on. Affirmative defenses is is just very basic. Google affirmative defenses, Georgia. Okay. And that'll and get your in your state statutes that'll tell you what are permissible affirmative defenses. Okay. And list them. Okay, when you when you when you were talking about the affidavit of sale and certificate, you said where's the records? And when you say records, uh, what does that mean? Does that mean uh, where, where, where's any where, where's any accounting of what they say is owed? Somebody can't just say you owe eight thousand dollars. Really? How did I come to how did I come to owe eight thousand dollars? Well, you borrowed money. Really? When did I borrow it? How much did I borrow on what date? Well, you used a credit card. Well, okay, you say I used a credit card. For what? When? What did I buy with it? Where did I buy? Okay. Do you see, do you see the stuff that they have to provide? They can't just say you owe us money. And these are the kind of things that most of the time that there's a real problem that they don't have that stuff. Cash doesn't get these records. Cash is just like the rest of the debt buyers. They buy an electronic spreadsheet with some basic information on it. You know what's fascinating they, about what you're saying is when I did a debt validation when they sent when I was trying to clean up the my credit report uh, about six months ago, they sent me a bunch of information and they had a, a credit card statement on that had my name on it and then when I got the summons and I got sued in the summons it was it was really puzzling to me they had the uh, they had the uh, the law firm and then I was the one supposed to be being sued and they the only thing they provided was a semi-copy of electronic reproduction of the statement that had my wife's name on it. My name's not even on yeah, it. Yeah, you you mentioned that. Yeah. Well, gee, you know that's kind of funny, isn't it? Do you think maybe they're fabricating evidence? 
I would think it looks like it. I mean, it, well, but see, this you don't address that at this point in time. You're, if you're wanting to address that, you're getting you're getting the, heart, the horse before the cart. You don't understand the process yet because you haven't studied enough. You're you're wanting to you're you're wanting to eat the elephant all in one bite. You're not eating it one bite at a time and taking the present situation. What do I need to do to answer a lawsuit? I need to do this. Okay. Then the next step is what? It's this. Then the next step is this. Then the next step is this. You're trying to figure out the whole thing all in one shot, and that's that's not the way you want to do things. That's very detrimental, to be honest with you. It'll get you confused. It'll have you jumping all over the map instead of learning a process, because all of this is a process. What comes first, second, third, fourth, and fifth? Yeah, you could go to the website and start studying beating beating credit cards. Yeah, he's been in there. I know that because we talked about that right. last week. But he's not, from what the questions he's asking, been, he's not been in there long enough and hard enough. Well, like I say, I think the biggest thing is he's he's trying to get all the questions answered for everything throughout the uh, all the stuff that uh, might play and into he, this whole thing at this point in time. And you're way premature on most of what you're wanting to. I think to where my problem is where my problem is is I'm trying. The credit card issue bothers me because, and I know that this is a problem throughout the nation because people have a, a conscience and they feel like, okay, I, I had something, maybe I was under stress, strain, or was not able to pay it at that time, but these suckers don't deserve it either. You well, know, there is but one, nobody owes a debt collector a penny. So that, right, and, well, and well, so there you it's go. A, it's a balancing thing, you know. I'm I'm going to fight this. I've got righteous indignation on this whole thing, but Thank I'm you. trying to come at it from a from a very logical standpoint. I don't owe them because I didn't contract with them. Well, let and me tell so, you something. The bank never loaned you a penny. They monetized your signature on the application and created money out of thin air. They never gave you anything of value that they had whatsoever contrary to what they may try and get you to believe or tell you. That's the truth. Banks yeah. can't loan credit. It's against federal law. Isn't that stupid? But isn't that yeah. what they do and the government lets them? Yes. The National Bank Act says very plainly, banks may not loan credit. They also they can't do it own the depositors' monies either. So the the bottom line is you don't owe anybody anything. They've made you believe that you owed them. But getting away from that, let's just deal with the process of, of what you got to do. Forget about, you know, money is owed, this, that, or the other thing. You don't owe any money. If you darn sure, like you said, you you know for absolute sure you don't owe a debt collector or anything. All right, that's who you're dealing with, so forget about the other stuff. Don't let all this stuff cloud your thought processes and get you all twisted and turned up. Deal with it from a procedural standpoint. Learn the steps. This is what you do first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Well, I did order the Graves material, and I've been on it. Good. I've, I've got the uh, the jurisdiction here is what you're talking about. Correct. I've got the flowchart. Mm-hmm. I'm going uh, 
through it now. I've done went through all the videos. I've been through beating the credit card seminar and the Summer Slam. I've listened to that three times. Good, good. I've listened to the beating credit card two or three times, and it's now that I'm was sued. When I listen to it, I'm I'm learning more because when you get under pressure, uh, like what I'm under it, right it now, it creates a little bit of urgency, does it not? Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, that, it's, that's just the reality of it. It creates the urgency. It's like what was that Benjamin Franklin, or somebody stated that uh, being on death row just ignites the imagination. <laughs> Well, you know, I heard that, but I can imagine it would. Yeah. Well, how am I going to get out of this one? Right. And so <laughs> it's the same thing. You know, you're you're under the gun. And well, uh, the you know the one thing. Yeah. The one thing I'm going to tell you, and I told you this before, and I'm going to reiterate it again because it's extremely important, and you've taken steps to move in that direction. The best defense is a good offense, and in our world, that's called a federal lawsuit. That yes. should be something that you're working on and make a priority to get done, you know, deal with the the, case, the state case so you don't get a, a uh, default judgment or anything, but get that federal case ready to go and get it filed against them because cash doesn't like federal lawsuits against them. And well, I can I, make, I one, I can make uh, one very I simple... Sorry, yeah, I was just going to say, I can make one very simple comment about that. Their checks do clear the bank. Message sent? Yes, I, I, I do have them on a couple of things. And I took your advice, and I filed um, last Friday, I filed a sworn denial, like you suggested. Mm-hmm. And I, find it, I filed a notice of dispute with them. Mm-hmm. And so so you, uh, you either have to do an enlargement of time to answer, or you have to put in your answer and affirmative defenses. Make sure you get those I in have, by the deadline. I've, I've motioned uh, the court for an enlargement of time, and uh, I also motioned them to give me a uh, an extension of time for the answers because uh, they've, they've already asked for discovery. Uh, they yeah. want me to do uh, an admission sheet for discovery, yeah. and yeah. I, I asked for right. an enlargement on that. So. So I've got time. I've, I've been studying the FDCPA, you know, for several days now, trying to figure out how many of those I could hit. And uh, I, I, I went through my phone records, and I found out that uh, when I did do a vet that uh, debt validation, they called me, uh, the the lawyer, the law firm that's representing Catch, called me on a Tuesday. Um, and the time that I got the letter and I saved the envelope like you guys told me to, mm-hmm. it was seven days from the time that she called me that I recorded it that I got that letter. Okay. Now, keep in mind, they have to mail it within five days. It's not that you receive it within five days of first communication. Just to clarify for everybody, because they're, if they did it, with the, you have to receive it within five days. Then there's a, an unknown that's being uh, that's entering into that. They can't say that. Oh well, the postal service always delivers real quick. So keep in mind, they have to send that 
letter out within five days of the first contact. It's not when you receive it. It's when it's sent. Okay. So it was stamped. It was stamped on the envelope seven days after I got the call. Oh, well, then, gee. That, and that was the first communication you had from them at all? Correct. You, you hadn't gotten any letters or anything before that? Uh, the, yes, they gave me a... Uh, oh, well, then the letters are a communication. Okay. They contacted me saying that I owed a debt. Yeah, those are a communication. Okay. So the fact that uh, you uh, you do your demand for validation, did you, did you do the demand for validation within 30 days of receiving the first letter, the first demand for payment? Let me look at my timeline here. I think I did. It's very important because as to the type of violations you have. Uh, This is why we keep continually telling people what you need to make sure that you do is the, the... People have a tendency when they they get a Dunning letter from a bill collector, they get one, oh, man, I got this letter from a debt collector. Oh, man, I don't have the money to pay that thing. Jeez, and they throw it in the trash. Yeah, this pisses me off. That's the worst thing you can do. That is absolutely the worst thing you can do. My God, don't do that, people. You get that very first letter from them, you got to go, oh, man, this is an opportunity. Because I'm learning what I should do. And if you get that letter, I'm going to tell you how I respond. I get my mail somewhere around 1 to one thirty. If I get a Dunning letter in the mail, I go down to my mailbox and there's a Dunning letter in there. I can tell you that with very few exceptions... By 4 o'clock that same day, there will be a validation demand over at the post office gone, certified mail to them. I don't even wait until the next day. Hmm. Why do I do that? First of all, because I view it as an opportunity, not as a, oh my God. And secondly, there's I don't want to take any chance on somehow having something, it get lost in paperwork on my desk or something, and I don't do it. And everybody else should do the same. Because if you set it down, and you get busy, and then you go, oh man, that was about six weeks ago. Well, gee, I wonder if I can still send it now. The fact that you didn't send it in the first 30 days makes a big difference. Because if you don't do it within 30 days of receiving the first Dunning letter, the first demand for payment, the law says that then they can continue collecting without validating. Oh. Okay? Now, if you send it six weeks after you get the first letter, they don't have to stop collecting the debt. They can keep right on. They can they can get the letter on Monday, and they can call you on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and send you more letters and everything else. And they're not violating the law. Oh no! Oh yeah! If you learn what 
the law says. If you learn what the FDCPA says, you understand what I just said. You have to do it within 30 days of the first uh, demand for payment. Otherwise, it changes. You waive that situation where they have to quit collecting. So see, if, if you do like I do, I send a, that demand uh, for validation out immediately. Right at that time, as soon as they uh, receive that, let's say I send it on Monday and they get it on Wednesday. Obviously, uh, Monday and Tuesday, they don't know that I've sent it. But when they sign for that certified mail on Wednesday, as of that time, they can't call me, they can't send me a letter until they validate the debt. And almost nobody can validate a debt, which means that they have to stop collecting. But if I wait till five weeks or if I wait till 31 days after I receive that first stunning notice, it's not the date of the notice. Please make note of that. These little details make a difference. If I wait 31 days from the date that I receive that notice, and then I send my demand for validation out. Then they can keep right on collecting. You know, I, some people will say, well, it's pretty picky details. No, that's just the way the law reads. And it's something that's very basic. That's why I'm making kind of a big deal out of it, and I haven't done this in a while, and I want to get it on the record again, especially for all the new people. It's imperative that you do not ignore collection notices. It can be very costly to you. And it can eliminate potential violations because in my case where I send it out and they get it on Wednesday, and if they send me another Dunning letter on Friday and then a week later they send me another Dunning letter and they haven't sent me validation yet, guess what? I got their butt in a ringer for FDCPA violations, and they can't get out of it. They're dead meat. It's like, do you, do you want to hand me the $1,000, or do you want me to sue you, and then you hand me the $1,000 and pay all the legal costs? Whichever, you, know, you tell me which way you want to do it. But that's the difference it makes whether you send that demand for validation immediately. But whatever you do, do it in the first 30 days. Do not procrastinate. Whatever you do, don't get mad and just throw it in the trash. It's the worst thing you can do. Okay. Okay. Well, with yours, like I say, I think you're, you're trying to eat the elephant in one bite. You need to slow down and take the process. You've done your first stuff, you put your sworn denial and your dispute in, and you did your motion for enlargement of time to answer and to answer discovery. And now, are you, are you getting your answer done? No. Okay, you need to. You need to get that done, and the reason you need to get that done is you don't want to be scrambling. Let's say if the court sends you a notice in 10 days and said, uh, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're granted a seven-day enlargement of time. You've got to have your, uh, 
your answers, uh, your answer and affirmative defenses in by uh, uh, February 3rd. Don't wait and then go, oh, crap, man, I've got to get going. They didn't give me much time. There's nothing that says the court's got to give you 30 days or anything. Or they may deny your motion and say, motion denied, uh, defendant will uh, answer within seven days. That's happened. It does happen. So my point is, get it done. Get it written up so that it's right there. I've got now, it handwritten, um, about 75% of it. Okay. Well, um, I just haven't got it typed out and finished. Okay. Well, I mean, you're, you've, you've been working on it, and that's good. But get it done, and I just told you why. Have it sitting there, so all you have to do is sign it, date it, and take it to the court and file it. So you're not scrambling at what might be an in very inopportune time, you don't know what's gonna what you're going to be doing, what's going on in your life at the time that they they come out with a decision, say, well, your motion for enlargement is denied. You you got to answer within seven days. Well, here's where my my confusion and my um, anxiety stems from. Uh, with what they're asking me and what they have. Uh, uh, I need to know the angle that I'm going to stay and fight them. You know, You're trying to get the cart before the horse. So don't You're trying to figure out this whole You're trying to figure out this whole thing right now instead of just taking care of the first steps. I keep I'm going back to that again. Isn't your affirmative defenses part of your whole scheme if you don't no, argue no, the points no, up no, front? No, 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 no. I told you Google Affirmative Defenses Georgia. Okay. And just you know, defendant uh, 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 it, it pleads uh, affirmative defense of uh, uh, statute of limitations. Okay. Defendant pleads uh, the uh, statute of limitations of latches. This, that, and the other thing. Okay. okay. Put them all in there. Because when you Google that, you look, your states tell you what affirmative defenses are allowable. Failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted is one of them that you put in there. And when you do that, then you're in a position where you're forcing them to prove that they do have a claim. Failure to state a claim for relief. Well, failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. But here again, you're trying to get too far out. Google your affirmative defenses. Get your stuff written and get that in there. All the rest of the stuff is going to come out as you go forward. You get into discovery. Okay. Oh, believe right, me, there's you. been plenty of people that have dealt with cash before you. <laughs> well, thanks for being patient, guys. I, I just, sure. you know, I'm scattered and I'm stressed right now over it. So, Well, the, the first thing is, don't be stressed. Don't be stressed. That doesn't do anything. Stress is only detrimental to you. And if you had no way of getting in any information or help on this and you were out there floundering in the woods with no assistance, well, I can see where that you, that should be some stress. 
But you're not in that situation. You've got access to the website with a lot of information. You've got the access to these calls. Don't be your own worst enemy stressing over things. Start the process. Just follow the process. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. It, you know, I, we've been there. <laughs> I mean, this, okay. this is just one, one voice of experience speaking. I actually got sued twice by the same debt collection lawyer. Hmm. Once for a debt buyer and once for Discover. They never got me served. I sued the debt collector for both of them. And guess hmm. who got paid? I got a judge I got two judgments against the lawyer, the same lawyer. And he paid me and then he dismissed the suits. And he never got me served. And it's right out in the public record. So hmm. Stuff and Dave's not hiding from service either. Well, they just they didn't get around to getting me served. They right. they came and they tried several times. I just wasn't available when they tried. And then I turned around, and this was right in the very beginning as I was doing this. The, those lawsuits were, I think, two of the very, very, very first ones that I ever did when I started learning this. I was still green as a grape. But look at the result I got. And then, believe it or not, I had that same law firm bother me again over something, and I sent them a, a debt validation letter, and, you know, I never heard another peep from them. I can't imagine why. It's like, oh, my God, it's this guy again. Leave him alone. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just my own personal experience, but, you know, um, it's not that I'm some genius because that was early on when I was just learning. But uh, my point is it can be done. You can do it too. Don't stress. Learn the process. In fact, de-stress yourself. I've got the help. You know, you can either say, oh, my God, I've got a problem, or, oh, man, i got this in hand. I've got plenty of resources here. If i got questions, I can get on the call Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, or I can get on the forum any of the other days and ask a question. You got access to a lot of knowledge out here, so don't stress over it. Well, thank you, guys. You're welcome. And I'll uh, mute out and continue to listen while I'm searching affirmative defenses. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Sure. All right. You're welcome. All right. Let's go to Northern Missouri. We're going to misery. Hello, Missouri. They just muted themselves. Yeah, I was just going to say. That's the last mute I've got. I was going to say, you used your last mute. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that I got your last one. (laughs) Well, I've been beaten with a wet noodle one time, and that was enough. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you don't want it from me. I got big noodles, buddy. (laughs) And I only wet them a little bit. Well, I got uh, I got a call Saturday from uh, one of these telemarketers who wanted to want me to get into one of their fake scheme deals. Uh, Aren't you lucky? Yeah. So I I send him a voicemail after they of course he left the phone number afterwards. I said I need more information. Please email me at my email address. And of course, what you do? He calls me back four times. Oh, but, geez. Uh, 
Now I'm on the National Call Do Not Call list. I believe that's sixteen thousand dollars, and on the Missouri Do Not Call list, which is five thousand. So uh, here's here's the uh, question. I I studied so much with foreclosures, I I neglect the uh, uh, other stuff. TCPA. I, I'm fairly well versed on that with debt collectors, but not with telemarketers. So my my question here is. How do I get the information from this fine gentleman as to where he's located and uh, where to serve him? Well, you're going to have to be real coy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, keep in mind that you calling them isn't giving them express consent to call you. Correct. That's why I was very careful to say, use my email. Right. So two text messages and a total of five calls. But uh, as far as getting the, the pertinent information for the address and things of that nature, to send all the letters to them and try and work this $100,000 violation out. I'm, I'm assuming you've already done a bunch of Googling to try and identify? I have not. I think oh, okay. I was actually using a fictitious, fictitious name. The, the name he gave me actually became or came up as a Baltimore Orioles, Orioles ex-pitcher. So, uh, well, keep Googling, keep Googling. I'll tell you what, because, you know, there's so many people that are uh, putting information out, you know, on like 800 notes and other call board places, debtor boards and stuff like that about various things. So do your Google searches with some of the key information that you have, phone numbers, names, stuff like that, because right. you could just, you, you could find a, a windfall of information where somebody else has been through the stuff, did research, got it, and posted it out there, and it could be just sitting waiting for you to copy and paste it. Right, and one of the things I'm thinking about is this may be some poor sucker that got into this pyramid scheme, and he doesn't have a clue as to what he's doing. Uh, not my fault, not my problem, but on the back side of that, am I going to be able to collect from him? Probably not. So, yeah. I mean, well, you know, that's, that's one of the things, yeah, you just got to go and do your homework. Right. Okay. Well, like I said, I was hoping maybe somebody had some uh, a tidbit of information. Maybe I could uh, use a tactic, a certain tactic to try and get him to go ahead and send me. What, what I kind of concocted in my own mind was to tell him that I would like Wait till he's going to ask me for money. Well, of course. And whenever that happens, I'll have to ask him for an address. Yeah. Well, then, well, we we just want a credit card. Well, I gee, I don't have credit cards. I don't use those. Um, you know, right. I can I can uh, send you a uh, uh, a check or a money order, but I need a uh, you know a mailing address. Where are you located? Well, that's kind of where I came. What I came up with my own. Uh, wicked little mind here and all the dark corners I dusted out. But, uh, uh, of course, you guys have more experience with this stuff than I do, so I, I was just jumping. Well, but, but the, the conclusion you came to is logical. That's <laughs> a funny thing about that, huh? But you'll, uh, you'll, be, you'll be fine. 
You'll be fine. Just just keep working at it. You know, you may find what you're looking for. You may not. I mean, those guys are, are running shady operations. They know it, and they're pretty good at hiding things. It just right. depends on how resourceful somebody is, and I know you're quite resourceful, so <laughs> you just might be the one that that bites them in the butt big time for what they're doing. I was told by my attorney that I've made his job interesting again. He can't see what I he can't wait to see what I come up with next. <laughs> I can imagine so. You by you've way, done far more detective work than he has. Right. By the way, I found out I am the first one to use uh, this affirmative defense. Missouri Revised Statute in a foreclosure case in the state of Missouri. Oh, good. Yeah, that was. I, I, I give myself a little pat on the back for that. I thought that absolutely. Was cool. Yeah. I, I want the case law. Yeah. <laughs> I want the case law, Lester, versus Nation Star. <laughs> there you go. Right go, on, guys. Go for it. We're uh, we're getting close. I'm sure somebody else is wanting to get in here, so uh, I'll jump off. But I, I sure do appreciate everything you do for us. All righty. Well, you be right. safe out in the road there, buddy. I absolutely will. All right. I'm All righty. Take her easy. All right. Let's go to guest 14. You've been unmuted. Go ahead. Yes. Hi, guys. Can you hear me? Yep. We got you. <laughs> okay, Dave. Um, here's my question. I called last week, and I called it pertaining to um, two debt collectors trying to collect on the same debt. Um, one of will the one that I have in court right now is uh, he's filed for a motion for summary judgment, and we just barely finished our 26F yesterday or today was our deadline, and we just filed it. Um, I got his motion for summary judgment. He emailed me a copy. Um, in there, he has a, uh, a declaration from um, somebody that works for the company that his client is for his client. In other words, for Monarch. Monarch's the name of the company. Mm-hmm. At any rate. Uh, Number eight in her declaration states <clears throat> states the following: Monarch access plaintiff's credit score in conjunction with its collection efforts for purposes of assuring that Monarch was directing its collection efforts to correct debtor. I'm sorry, to correct debtor at its correct current address, and that Monarch was calling the debtor's most current telephone numbers, including his residential number and telephone numbers associated with his place of employment. Um, I didn't know that they've ever called me. I, I've never received a call from them, but they're saying they did this. Well, that's probably boilerplate language. Okay. Does that tell does that, uh, does, uh, Stop and think about what I just said. Boilerplate language. Oh, they've got the same old declarations. They just put names and, and amounts in to uh, try and screw people. It's got nothing to do with really factual information, does it? No, uh, I never received anything by mail. They said they sent me things by mail. I've actually sent them a notice of dispute um, right. prior to anything happening, and they never even responded to that. So right. I, I don't know how she's able to say all these things. Right. Okay. Well, they, uh, they're they going to file. Now, just because they emailed you a motion for summary judgment doesn't necessarily mean they're filing it with the court. Have you looked at PACER? Yes, I have, and they have filed it. Okay, they did file it, all right. So they they did file it, all right. Which you, you've got uh, your period of time to answer it and look at your rules so you know exactly how much time you've got to answer a motion for summary days. judgment. Pardon? I have 14 days to uh, answer. Okay. 
All right. And about the 12th day, you can file a motion for enlargement of time to respond to summary judgment uh, because you're a pro se litigant. You don't have a staff. You don't have paralegals to assist you. You need an additional 14 days to respond. Also, the fact that the summary judgment motion is premature as you have not even began to engage in discovery. But you have to respond to it, otherwise they get it by default. I see. Um, Would you, uh, I'm sorry, is that some kind of indication like what I read to you about them trying to phone call me, I mean, that I can add on? No, 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 no. They said that they did something. If you don't have proof of something, you can't use what they say that you don't even know that that it happened. If if you knew you got phone calls and and uh, had information, had evidence of that, then what you could use that for is, uh, depending on what happened, you could use that as uh, evidence against them. But the fact that you didn't have that, it's any. Uh, evidence of anything that's worthless. Okay, well, and through discovery, if I do, like, um, get some records that do show they've called me, would that help me as far as putting in a uh, an amended complaint for TCPA? No. You, you need to well, be addressing your uh, yeah. uh, motion for a summary judgment. Yeah, yeah. And let You're this other to... stuff slide until after you've won that. Right. Okay, well, yeah, what, I, what don't. I seem to use for my summary judgment is there's no evidence of material fact given. I mean, there's a testimony no, given. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm, the first thing I'm going to tell you right now is you have to show the court where there is an issue of material fact before the court, and therefore their summary judgment should not be uh, granted. Their motion for summary judgment should not be granted. Okay? It's not that you're saying they they don't have any material facts. You have to show... They're saying that there are no material facts. You have to show the court that there are material facts before the court so that summary judgment should be precluded and this should move forward to trial on the merits. So, see, you don't have a full understanding of exactly what a summary judgment motion is. Okay, one material fact that you were, we had kind of agreed upon was um, the other debt collector sending in statements on the same debt. That would be a material fact, correct? Well, you've got multiple people. Well, this is on what? This is just on a credit poll, right? Yes. Okay, if somebody else is is trying to collect a debt, what's that got to do with whether they pulled your credit? Either they pulled it with a permissible purpose or they didn't, right? Yes. Okay. So, you analyze that. Now, how could they have a permissible purpose if somebody else is trying to collect the debt? Um. I don't know, too many debt collectors going after the same nickel? Well, what what was my question? 
How can they have a permissible purpose if somebody else is collecting the debt at the same time? See, they're going to say that their permissible purpose is because they were attempting to collect a debt, right? Yeah. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You say you're trying to collect this debt, but Joe Blow over here is trying to collect it at the same time. Well, now, who really had the authority to pull to collect the debt at the time that you pulled my credit? Isn't there an issue of material fact? Was it Joe Blow that had the authority, or was it you? But we don't know that. We have to get into the discovery and find out the details. Therefore, there should be no summary judgment. I just I told you how to. Ar- I just told you how to argue your summary judgment. Okay. Also, also I, I, uh, I ran them through the uh, CFPB, and their explanation they gave me was uh, this account was closed by Monarch when a legal complaint in this matter was received by Monarch. The consumer should contact the creditor directly for further information. So they're saying they have an account, but yet they were collecting on behalf of U.S. Bank. Or, well, I don't know. You, you're, you're just jumping all over the place here. You're you're just bouncing from one thing to another. You're you're not staying focused on what you're doing. You're what you have to deal with is a summary judgment motion. Uh-huh. All right. I just told you how to deal with that. You said that there's two different companies, them and somebody else trying to collect a debt. All right. Well, they can't both have authorization to collect a debt at the same time. Somebody's money. What I'm thinking is going to happen, Dave, is Monarch's going to say we had it for one month and then we gave it back and then this other company is going to say, oh, well, no, wait a minute. You're making a whole bunch of assumptions. You you have no basis to make them on. You're guessing. That's going to, don't do that. And no matter what they say, they've got to prove it's true. See, you're, you're not understanding this process. You're you're making excuses for them. Oh, well, this is what they're going to do. You don't know what they're going to do. What you have to do is pin their ears to the wall. The way you do that is, like I said, they're trying to, they said, well, we pulled his, uh, or uh, yeah, we, we obtained his credit report uh, because we we're attempting to collect a debt. Well, really, okay. Well, how come Joe Blow over here is trying to collect it? Isn't there an issue of material fact to who actually had the authorization to collect the debt and therefore even remotely could have had a permissible purpose to obtain my credit report? Isn't isn't there a, a, a question there? Isn't that a material fact? It is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> think how the judge is going to view it as. No, you keep worrying about how they're going to view it as. I'm telling you, you have to make the arguments. You have to point out to the court, wait a minute, they're saying that they were trying to collect this debt. But, Your Honor, Joe Blow was trying to collect it at the same time. And we don't know without discovery who actually really, truly had the authority to collect the debt at that time. 
Okay, Dave. I I got the the bare bones on how to, I'm going to make my argument now. Okay. Because make the difference. But I have one last question. Um, I've already gone through my my uh, 36F. Now I 20, think 26F. Oh, I'm sorry, 26F. <laughs> and I was uh, going to ask my 16A1 disclosures usually follows. Shortly, it's right? 20. It's it's you're getting your numbers confused. It's 26A1. 26A1 disclosures. Okay. Okay. John's John's got examples of that, I believe, on the website. He did uh, discovery uh, webinars and stuff, and I believe he had some attended uh, attendant documents to those. I'm quite sure there is uh, an example. Right, John just said it's it's all there. There's examples of uh, 26A1 disclosures that you need to make to them. And it's very similar to the to the uh, 36F, right? No, it's 26F. No, it's not like that at all. It's a very simple. There's four things that you have to cover on it. Go into the website. Go to the discovery webinars and the taking your money section and study those and look at the documents. With the webinars, some of the webinars have got documents attached. And he covers the 26A1 disclosures and gives you instructions on how to do it you can look and see the format and everything that's right there so you can see exactly what needs to be done and when you need to do it. Okay. All right. Okay, thank you, Dave. You've answered all my questions. All right. Very good. Okay. Let's go back to northern Georgia and see if uh, our pizza driver is uh, rambling down the road instead of at somebody's door. Hey, Hello, North Charles. Georgia. This is Dave. Dave, it's Charles. How are you? Oh, okay. That's okay. Somebody else. We got two North Georgias on here. Oh, okay. Yep. What do you got? All right. Um, let's see. Where do I begin? Okay. Um, this guy, he got a, his wife received a, uh, an, a criminal arrest warrant for uh, some merchandise that they had bought at a, at a, a at a computer store here in Atlanta. Um, well, how did he how did he get a, <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was a criminal arrest for something he bought? There, right. that, okay. there seems to what be a disconnect did, in that terminology. Right. What they, what what happened was that they uh, uh, they purchased with the ninety days same as cash, and then when it came time to pay, they claimed that the um, uh, that 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 they sent him a letter saying that the, that the payment the first payment was due before the ninety days, so there was some type of discrepancy. So for whatever reason, they didn't make the payment, and um, they never returned the uh, merchandise, okay? So, of course, uh, the creditor's been after them for, for quite some time. And so uh, uh, right after Christmas holidays, they served his wife at work uh, a criminal arrest warrant. So they had to go to court last week, and, uh, of course, they got that. Uh, well, a criminal arrest for, warrant for what? Uh, endangering endangering uh, security interests. That's bullshit. Yeah, that's well, not a. That, that's not a. No, that's. Uh, what kind of Mickey Mouse stuff is that? Is this uh, is this in the Atlanta Kangaroo Court? <laughs> Endangering a security interest. Yeah, yeah, that didn't even sound like. And they use is there an the, actual um, statute to go with that? Yeah, it is. It's, it's called the OCGA uh, sixteen. Well, I don't care about the number. That doesn't tell me anything. What does it say? 51. 
It says destruction, removal, concealment, encumbrance, or transfer of property subject to security interest. All right, so they're saying that the uh, evidently that these people liquidated it, sold it or something, got rid of it? Well, it's, it, they're alleging that anyway. Yeah, but I want to know... Because they didn't return the property. How is buying a computer a security interest? Well, they financed it, and they did the 90 yeah. days same as cash, and just didn't, yeah. it just didn't yeah. make any payments toward it. Yeah, and but so, that's, a, that's a credit issue because they granted credit. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. But that's not a criminal offense. Now, what they, they're, they're trying to strong-arm them doing a criminal thing by saying that you, you got that property and you turned around and sold it to somebody. All right. Or what what it, did they it, what did they allege in this in this criminal complaint? Well, what, from what, I can what make exactly out of did it, it say? It, it was just the endangering. Um, let me see if I can pull it up because it was it wasn't really a great copy that they uh, they faxed over to me. But um, bottom line, I mean, it's it's just um, you know they're alleging that they, that they didn't return the equipment. That's a credit issue. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not a criminal. Issue. Otherwise, everybody that didn't pay a credit card would be in prison. Wow, you're right. They're trying something bogus. Yeah. Yeah. But here again, what does it say? Mm -hmm. I think he just said he can't read it yet, Dave. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah, it is. It is a little faint. And uh, let me see if I can pull it up on my phone because he took a picture of it with his phone, which was a tad clear, but it was just small. So I guess I mean the first thing that I would like to do is uh, kind of know what 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 you know strategies could be used just to you know relieve them of the. Um, well, criminal charges. we don't we don't they file criminal charges. Well, They're going to have to get a criminal representation. Well, it just it, here again, it's we got a lack of knowledge here. We don't really deal with criminal stuff, but with a lack of knowledge, it makes it almost impossible to uh, do something. But I'm I'd be interested in seeing exactly what's there. But uh, criminal stuff is a uh, that's a whole different world. Right. Now let me say this: one of one of my associates shared something with me today because he had a somewhat similar uh, situation. He said that here in Georgia, as long as you uh, contribute uh, two hundred dollars or more towards something, that uh, it, it can't be a criminal; it have to be uh, classified as civil. So I, I text the guy and I ask. What, him, what do you hey, mean if you contribute two hundred dollars or more to something? Meaning if you make if you make a payment, if you make a payment of two hundred dollars or more to something oh, okay. uh, here in Georgia. Our, our, it's, it's right. not classified as – it couldn't be classified as criminal. It has to be moved as a civil matter. Okay, so basically that evidently from – I'm starting to get a little bit of a picture here, I believe. Mm-hmm. If you don't pay anything, they're, they're saying, oh, you're just stealing it. But if you yeah. pay at least $200 on that shows that you paid something, but then you didn't pay the rest of it, and it's a civil exactly. matter over a debt issue. Exactly. I think that – you making that comment, I think that's probably what the delineation is between the two, and that's that comes under your Georgia laws. Mm-hmm. So if they didn't pay anything on it, then they're subject to that. That they they may be in a in a criminal situation that they're going to have to deal with on that. Yeah. Okay. 
All right, well, yes, they have put something toward it. The guy told me that he put about $300 toward the, uh, the purchase. Can he prove it? That's another another matter. I have to ask. There yeah. you go. Saying it and proving it are two different things. And he's going to have to get an attorney on this one. Yeah, criminal okay. stuff uh, yeah, is not something that you normally want to handle. In your they're own. looking at the possible loss of liberty. Yep. Yeah, I don't recommend I don't recommend him handling that, trying to handle that himself. I think you better get an attorney. Gotcha. Okay. All right, I'll advise him that. Yep. When you when you risk being put behind bars on something, you you need to step out and get somebody like that involved. Okay. Okay. All right, good deal. Appreciate you guys. All right, sure. All right, let's see who else we got here. That's the last one we had on the board. We're, uh, oh, we got about 10 minutes of recording time, eight minutes of recording time left. If somebody else has got a question or a comment tonight, uh, hit star eight. That'll put you in the queue. We'll, uh, we'll cover your, uh, your question or comment if we can. If we don't have an answer, we'll try and uh, point you in a direction where you might get some. Let's go down I have a question for Terry. Well, what what do you got, Jeff? What is a permissible pull, uh, purpose for pulling someone's credit? Well, no, wait a minute. No, we're, we're going to get into a bunch of stuff. We had somebody raise their hand here. So. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, let's uh, let's go to Southeast Florida. Hello. Is Hello. That me? That's yes. you. Can't you feel okay. the spotlight on you? Isn't it kind of warm? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a little too hot. <laughs> Listen, we need some of the cold weather down here, okay? It's like, it's one, two, eight. <laughs> we well, we, degrees we, yeah, we sent the cold weather out of here. It's been beautiful, near 70, sunny weather. Been great. No, it was it was beautiful today out here. It really was. I was actually Good. out all day, but it was beautiful. Um, my question actually goes uh, more in line with, um, I have a client who is, purchasing a home, and um, basically she has a judgment, and I spoke to you guys about this uh, in the past, from Florida unemployment. It turns out that the the judgment was not hers. It was her daughter's. The judgment has been paid, but Florida unemployment refuses to give her a letter stating that that judgment was not hers. It was her daughter's. Lo and behold, uh, the thing is still pending. Unfortunately, she can't proceed with the purchase of the house because of this judgment. Okay, um, we're trying to figure out other ways to, for them to purchase the house, and she's not going to be able to get on the mortgage at all. She's going to have to go through another family member to buy the house. Okay. Now, my Well, my you got you got something very simple. They're provide and this is information that's provided to a credit reporting agency, right? Yeah, and it's exactly. They're providing bogus information to a credit reporting agency. Sue them. Tell them you tell them okay. you're going to sue them. And well, that's what I'm. I was going to go ahead and have her send a dispute letter to the credit to the credit reporting agency. Um, oh, that hasn't has been, been done already. That should have been done a long no, time ago. No, because. Well, we can't because of her mortgage, and she can't have any disputes on the application. So we're trying to get 
the the mortgage transition to somebody else's name, and before I proceed at that avenue, I want to make sure that we have everything taken care of on that side. The minute the mortgage broker tells me everything's good to go, then I'm going to go ahead and have her send the, the dispute letter. My question would be, um, the house is being purchased, but it's being purchased under somebody else's name now. Uh, would that, can she still go with with damages? Because she couldn't buy the house. It's not hers, and she couldn't buy the house because it was reported erroneously on her credit. Yeah, well, you, you have to start with the dispute. It, just like everything, we always say it starts with the dispute. You have to give them the opportunity to correct the error. If they don't correct the error, that's where you have the violation. Then you can file the lawsuit and go after them for damages. And, and in her case, it would be actual damages. So but you got to see the, see, the thing is, you have to do the dispute now. Otherwise, how can you say that uh, uh, you disputed it and they didn't correct it and then you didn't get the house as a result when you do the dispute after you tried to buy the house? You didn't give them a chance to uh, uh, correct it. Well, the thing is that we, we actually we had been working with Florida unemployment for them to get it removed, and they completely, totally refused to give her something in writing that 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 particular judgment doesn't pertain to her. And and that's where we have been but, going back but and who, forth. Yeah, but but here again, who's reporting it to the credit reporting agency? It's probably LexisNexis, is it not? I, I I don't know. I don't know who is. Because well, they have, you, they, they've well, but you go to the credit reporting agency and find out who provided the information. See, LexisNexis okay. is the company that takes most of that stuff from your state, your, you know, your government entities and stuff, and provides it to the credit reporting agencies. So you need to go to, you know, if it's Experian or whatever, you need to get a hold of them and say who provided this information. Okay. You got to find out what the source is. Then you go to LexisNexis and you tell them, "Look, you provided bogus information and correct information here. You dispute it, and if you don't clarify it, we're going to sue you." Okay. So, what would be the the most appropriate way to do it now? Let's say we'll go ahead and do a this phone call tomorrow. tomorrow to Lexis or to the credit reporting agencies to find out who, in fact, reported the information. Where did they get it? Because the, the credit reporting agencies don't go out to the, the courts and the state agencies. There's companies that collect that information and are actually paid by the credit reporting agencies to collect that information. And LexisNexis is the most well-known and the largest one that does that. Okay. But you've got to find out who it was for sure. Go to the CRA. Okay, who provided this information to you? I want to know, was it LexisNexis? And then you go to LexisNexis. You dispute it with the CRA, but then you mm -hmm. go to Nexus, uh, uh, LexisNexis and dispute with them and lay the groundwork for suing them. Because, they, you know, they pick up this kind of stuff. They, they provide erroneous information all the time. It's nothing new.
Yeah, well, here I can understand why, because her daughter's name is exactly her name. Her daughter lives with her. So they have all the information is correct except the social security number, which is it doesn't Uh belong to to my client. Whoever is making all this noise here, got to mute them. Sorry about that. Let's see. I think I got them. Go ahead. Okay. Alrighty. That was my question. It's okay. How to proceed yeah. with that? I'd, I'd, okay. I'd make a phone call uh, in the morning to uh, the CRAs and uh, start tracking it down that way. Yeah. Okay. You know, and and see, that's the thing. If somebody isn't going to cooperate, well, then get the gun. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. well, I don't let them do that. Well, what was holding us back was that the, the mortgage broker said that he could not have any disputes on her credit file, and and that is what's holding us up because if we dispute it, we know we can get it resolved. There were some other disputes that were done, and we had to retract those re- disputes. So if we have the dispute, we have to retract it. And well, we you just got to figure anything. out what. Yeah, you just got to figure out what whether it's you dispute it and you uh, you get that stuff done. And get it taken care of, and the the uh, transaction takes a little while longer. However, you want to do it, but that's you know based on what you said. No, uh, they, that's the way I would do no, it. No, they they've given us only two weeks to get it resolved, and um, find another mortgage and, company. Huh? Find no, another mortgage the seller, company. The seller is only giving us two weeks to get it resolved. Not oh, the mortgage no. company. The no. mortgage company can give us as much time. The seller no. wants to steal. Transacted and done, and yeah. they've given us. Yeah. Uh, they've well, only given yeah. us and they've, and they've got the right to put. They've got the right to put limitations on it. So, yep. yeah. So do what you got to do. That. Okay. Great. Thanks, guys. Okay. You're welcome. All right. I'm going to go to Gigi Boss here, and that's going to be the last call for tonight. Gigi Boss. Good hey, evening. Hey. Um. <laughs> I was on the chat putting all this information up here. All right. Um, I have a, a issue with someone I've helped with a help. They filed a lawsuit, and I was assisting with some of the um, settlement part of it. And they wanted them to file a W-9, <clears throat> uh, sign a W-9 with the settlement. So I was wondering, is there anything in a webinar that goes into that? Because I heard I heard no. say before that. Okay. No, there isn't anything into it other than that. Uh, do you want the check? I mean, yeah, try and tell, it, try and try and avoid it if you want to. But if they absolutely insist on it, uh, sign it. I just, uh, I just uh, did a, a couple of WA bend. I use a W eight B E N for myself for personal reasons. But uh, I did those on these two checks that I just got that I'm sitting on. Take to the bank tomorrow. Oh, I missed that part. How much was your check? <laughs> Twenty five hundred and twelve fifty, just for okay. several, just for several phone calls. No litigation. Oh wow, you're getting better and better at that, man. Well, I've got a lot of them. I, I, I've got more money. Yeah. Uh, I've gotten bigger checks without litigation than I have with, <laughs> and so far. Wow. Wow. But is that you, know, you never know. Is that still the strategy of sending the, the lawsuit along with the intent to sue letter? Well, I always follow the same process. I send a notice of intent to sue. And the one 
the uh, general counsel at the company contacted me, and we uh, resolved issues. The other one, the company uh, contacted a law firm locally here that represents them, and I knew it, it, it was a firm that represents them. I'm familiar with them, and the uh, attorney emailed me because uh, we've had correspondence on other things, said that he had uh, received, uh, they had received a letter from the company and wanted to know what, what we could do to settle it, and we did it, and it was boom, 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 tied up in a neat little package, and all done. I got my check. Okay. All right. Well, I'll have him. We'll read over the WBN, W8BN. Yeah. I don't know um, all that. But um, I know I heard Terry say once that she'll just, she just, I don't know if she, I think she said she'll tell them or she just said she'll file a 3949A on them. Yeah. Well, but that's that's tax advice. We really don't get into tax advice. Right. Okay. Okay. All right, then. Well, good deal. All right. Have a good week, everybody. You bet. Thank you. You too. All right. Well, Manny. Uh, had raised his hand, but we're uh, we're going to wrap things up here tonight. He just he popped out of there, but we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap things up for tonight. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us. Thank you, Terry, John, Jeff, for uh, joining me again tonight. Again, for all of those people, I'm going to mention it one more time in case somebody comes uh, came on the call a little bit late. I am selling some of my NCLC books. I have new editions, not to say that there's much difference between the new ones than the old ones. The new ones will have just maybe a little bit of the most recent case law added, but uh, the other books are extremely valuable. I have four different sets that I'm going to sell because uh, I don't need two sets of the same thing, so it gives me a chance to recoup a little bit of the funds that I put into them. I'm selling Fair Debt Collection 7th Edition with the appendices. Normally it's $230, uh, and this is two books, uh, two different books. Normally it's $230. I'll ship it to your door for $146. I've also got Fair Credit Reporting 7th Edition along with the 2011 supplement. That is two books as well. Normally it's $210. I'll ship it to your door for 134 Collection Actions, second edition. And that, <clears throat> excuse me, that is uh, stuff that's really good for dealing with the uh, stuff in your state courts and stuff. Um, that is real good material. That's the second edition. It has the 2012 supplement, two books. It's normally $190. I'll sell for $120 delivered to your door. Unfair and Deceptive Acts and Practices, 7th edition. And it also has the 2011 supplement. That's two books. Normally it's $180. Uh, I'll deliver it to your door for $115. If somebody buys all of them, I will take an additional 10% off. Normally it would be $515. I'll take 10% off, $463 delivered to your door. Payment needs to be in the form of a money order, either postal or Western Union, and because uh, I'm not set up to take any credit cards or anything like that. So uh, the way I'm doing it is that uh, if anybody wants to buy all of the books in one shot, I prefer to sell them that way. If I can, it just saves me time with packaging things up and getting it all shipped out and everything. I prefer to do that. 
I'm going to wait until and see what I have at noon tomorrow. And if anybody has uh, requested that they want to purchase all of the books, whoever sent me the email first, that's who I will sell to. If nobody comes up and says they want to buy all of them, then the first requests for the individual ones will be the ones that I will contact and let you know. I'll give you the information on where to send the funds. And uh, I do need to get that done. I'm not going to stretch it out 10 days, two weeks, or anything because I've got plenty on my plate. I'm going to want you to uh, send the funds out for this right away so that uh, I know what I'm doing and what's going where. But uh, these books are excellent. Uh, they've got highlighting done in them. So uh, instead of you having to read all the stuff to try and figure out where some of the real juicy good stuff is, uh, these are the ones I've already been through with my highlighter. Uh, I, I haven't highlighted everything, but I've highlighted a lot of stuff, so you can find a lot of very valuable information. These are some of the most valuable resources, along with PACER, that I have had in learning and doing what I'm doing. And there's tons of case law in these things. So uh, I've used them for that extensively. They're a great investment. And uh, I believe that's a very fair price for them. Uh, get some money back out of them, you save money. And, uh, you know, sometimes people think they need to get, oh, the latest one because it's got all the good stuff in it. There's going to be very little difference between the new ones and uh, something that's a couple years old on these. So uh, it, it's up to you, but they're out there. Uh, if I don't get enough response here, I'm going to post them on the uh, website, but I wanted to put them on my call out here first because I've had people that have asked about them and requested them. So uh, I make this stuff available to you guys out there to reduce costs so that you've got the same material to learn from that I have. So, again, thanks to everybody for joining us on the call tonight. I appreciate it. And tomorrow night there is an open call. And uh, that does start at 8 o'clock, and it's blogtalkradio.com forward slash W-L-I-Y-D. And again, 8 o'clock. Then, of course, Wednesday afternoon, Terry is going to be doing a uh, follow-up webinar, uh, going, getting more extensively on some of the stuff uh, to go along with her webinar series of What Lies in Your Credit Report. That will be at 3 o'clock Eastern, Wednesday. And then Wednesday night is Terry's call at 8 o'clock Eastern. And if you're not on her email list, send an email to queensongbird at gmail.com. Simply say, please put me on the list. And with that said, I'm going to say good night to everybody. Have a great evening. Thanks for joining us tonight. And we'll talk to you on Blog Talk Radio tomorrow night. Good night, everyone. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.